What's up, everybody? Welcome to Shiny Razor Wire, a new travel podcast about adventure travel, edgy destinations, dodgy experiences, getting lost, getting wasted, living it up in luxury sometimes, and wondering if you packed your body bag at other times. Get ready, because this isn't your ordinary travel show. This is Shiny Razor Wire. And here are your hosts for this crazy adventure. John and Delany. Hey, what's up, everybody? Hey, Delany, how are you? I'm so good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, maybe we should start by being honest with everybody and let them know that this is like take 45 on this first episode because <laughs> I can't. I keep fucking up the recording, and I can't obviously do more than like one thing at one time. We just recorded 30 minutes of audio, by the way, and then all of a sudden I was like, Delany, oh my god, you're gonna kill me, and it. It wasn't recording. I had it paused. <laughs> this is literally like, it's take three, but it feels like take 43. That's okay. So if I don't sound <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally organic and on, <laughs> don't hold it against me. <laughs> oh. I'm going to be like, blah, 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 Lebanon, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and that's our show for today, folks. Thanks for tuning I in. <laughs> I feel like... <laughs> I feel like maybe we should have picked another place so we had something new to talk about <laughs> since we've talked so much about Lebanon and only to each other. <laughs> My dog is like, it's called Ferdinand, fucker. That's the name of the restaurant. <laughs> well, maybe we should start by telling people who the hell we are. Um, who are you, Delany? So I'm Delany, and I hail from the sleepy little hamlet of Mill Valley, California. She's playing it down. She's from San Francisco, by the way. She's from the Bay Area. So she lives in like a huge happening metropolis. (laughs) I don't know about that. Um, I am just north of the bridge in the Bay Area. I actually have a full-time job. I work as a critical care nurse. Not a great time to be doing that right now because of the lovely COVID-19. So that's keeping me busy. Then in my spare time, I try and travel and I love to travel. I hate the word wanderlust. I think it's kind of cliche, but globetrotter, I don't know. I'm just taking off countries like one at a time. Wanderlust kind of makes it sound like you're horny while you're traveling. Yeah, I wanted, I always wanted a good travel adjective. I just like to travel and it is my passion and that's what all my all my hard-earned COVID-19 money goes to. <laughs> now that sounds cash. terrible. COVID sounds like it's going to be the newest cryptocurrency. I know, like seriously. Um, when I'm not partaking in a global viral pandemic and I'm just normally taking care of sick people, I just like to travel. I am at 64 countries right now and would have been doing a couple more, but I'll get back to it soon enough. So tell the fine people about you. More exciting, more exciting resume. I don't know about that. Delany plays down her travel creds. I mean, she's literally, when she says she travels in her spare time, she means like every weekend. When she has a three-day weekend, she pops up in Cambodia or Laos (laughs) or the Central African Republic. I never know where she's going to be. And I travel a lot. So I guess to introduce myself, I am John Nicholson. I am a full-time travel blogger, travel writer podcast host on travel. I run a travel company in Egypt and I host a podcast about travel to Egypt. 
And so travel for me is a full-time thing. And so now Europe is my base and I travel a lot in the Middle East, a lot around the rest of Europe. And Delany has me beat sometimes with travel. I mean, I travel full-time. She has a full-time job and travel is her second job, essentially. And I feel like she travels more than me. Like she'll literally take a three-day holiday and, and be like Hank swinging from the trees in Angkor Wat. And mm-hmm. I have travel. That's actually I haven't. Instagram. I haven't been there. I've, it's on my list. I want to go to. Angkor you want to swing from the trees? No, I don't know about that. The chandeliers. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I definitely want to go to Angkor Wat. Just to give everyone some background, Delany and I know each other because I also run a tour operator in Egypt, and uh, I used to work for another tour company in Egypt back in the day, and Delany was on one of our group trips to Egypt during the Egyptian Revolution. And so I got to meet her in Egypt, uh, was able to be her tour leader on her group, and we got to experience part of the Egyptian Revolution together and all the craziness that was going on. So Delany and I both go to some pretty edgy places. Speaking of which, let's talk about one of those because Beirut and Lebanon have become one of my favorite places in the Middle East now. I did not expect Lebanon to be so amazing and especially Beirut. But I went there, let's see, I went there for the first time in October. Do you remember Delany? Because I was posting on Instagram that I was in Jordan for work with some clients. And then I had about four or five days free before I had to go to Egypt for work again. And I just posted on my Instagram a poll and asked people, should I go to Istanbul or should I go to Beirut? And I had been to Istanbul a few times and I love Istanbul and I would have been happy to go back there. But I was really rooting for Beirut because I'd never been to Lebanon. And it was kind of neck and neck for like about 12, 15 hours. And I was really hoping Beirut would win. And I think in the end, Beirut edged out Istanbul by like 52% to 48%. And so I just took the advice of the the herd and went to uh, book a ticket to Beirut. And holy cow, I mean, that city surprised me so much. Do you remember the stories I was posting on Instagram and, and how amazing it was? I had always heard that Beirut was a really fun place to go and um, that they had really good underground parties and things like that. And people think of war and bombings. And, you know, even when I told people that I was going to go there, people are like, and they make such a face. But of course, I was always interested in going and I saw your pictures and I was like, oh my gosh. And I asked you if you thought it would be safe for me to go if I went by myself. And you said yes. And as it got closer, and I was like, hey, would you go to Beirut again? And you were like, hell yeah. Yeah, I love that place. And, you know, I had a five-week trip. She had a two-week trip. And she was going to four countries. I went to, I think I went to three countries in the Middle East. And we overlapped. Um, we, were, we were planning to overlap in Bahrain. We didn't by one day. But we overlapped in Beirut. And so we both flew into Beirut. We got there at like 1030 at night. It was really late. Um, we came from different airports, but we ran into each other. Remember in the in the customs line, I walked right up behind you in the customs line. And we ended up breezing through immigration, which I thought, my first time there, I thought that was going to be a huge hassle because <laughs> when we were there, we were calling it the country to the south, or we had an acronym like TCS, like the country to <laughs> the south. Us. Yeah, the, the country below us. Because <laughs> we had both been to the TBU. country below. Yeah. Um, and CU? T- oh, I don't know what we called it. T-C-B-U. We just didn't call it. We didn't call it Israel because we were afraid we were going to get like stoned or something. <laughs> yeah. But you know what, what's, what that really tells me is that as 
well-traveled as you and I are, we even still had all these misconceptions about Lebanon. I mean, I, I like you, like you were saying, I also thought it was dangerous. I thought it was edgy. I thought, you know, I didn't go to Lebanon for like a decade of traveling in the Middle East because I thought it just wasn't a place that was safe to go, even for an adventurous traveler like I am. And I just went on a whim. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to put all this stuff behind me. I've heard it's great. I'm just going to go give it a try. And I was just blown away. And, you know, even literally at every step of the way, you know, the security line going there, I was on the plane from Amman to Beirut and I was deleting photos in my Instagram feed from Israel from years ago because I didn't know. I just heard these stories and I was like, oh my God, are they going to grill me? Are they going to go through my social media? What's going to happen? And it was literally just like, welcome to Lebanon. Here's your free visa. Come on in the country and spend your US dollars, please. It was so the opposite of what I had ever. And that was Lebanon at every step of the way. You know, literally going through the immigration line was the opposite of everything I'd heard and assumed. Definitely. I was scared because I have like no poker face whatsoever. And I'm a horrible liar. And I thought, are they going to be like, have you ever been to Israel in my face with the flashlight? And I'm like, no, yes, I don't know. So I was trying to be cool. <laughs> like, like you're coming home drunk to your parents or something. Be cool, be cool. And I was just like, yeah, I've never been to Israel. Israel? What's that? No. <laughs> you know, and it turns no, out they did not even give a shit. They don't give a fuck. And the misconception there is if you're Lebanese, you can't go to Israel. And if you're Israeli, you can't go to Lebanon. But they're not trying to control where other people go from other countries. So, you know, they recognize they desperately need tourism. They desperately need foreign currency and commerce. And so you could have, you know, just come right from Tel Aviv and they're going to be like, welcome to Lebanon. I mean, I certainly wouldn't advertise totally. it. But. So you go through the airport and arriving in Lebanon is the opposite experience from what I thought it was going to be being in Lebanon, being in Beirut, traveling around the country was also the opposite experience. What I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be dangerous, edgy. I thought it was going to kind of have to watch out. I thought there weren't going to be you know nice places to stay. I thought there weren't going to be tons of bars. Holy cow. It is the complete opposite. Beirut is like a party city. And I don't mean like in new Orleans, bourbon street kind of way or Vegas way. I just, I mean in like a sophisticated artsy, mm-hmm. trendy, modern, postmodern way. Beirut has the most awesome food establishments. They have trendy little alternative bars. They have great hotels. I mean, that first night, remember Delany, we arrived and we got to the neighborhood we wanted to go out in, which is Jamais, at maybe what, one thirty in the morning and we were starving. And we were looking for late. something to eat and everything was closed because I didn't realize it was Saturday night too and I was ready to go out and rage. I didn't realize everything closed at two. Because the last time I'd been there, I think I was out about 11-ish. But we were looking for something to eat. Everything was closed. And all we could find, we just saw across the window, like, vegan food. And I was just like, ugh, let's keep looking. But nothing else was open. <laughs> I was just like, ugh. I mean, nothing against vegan. Something against vegan food. I just don't know it. And so I don't know what to order. I don't know what's good. Um, you know, I, I think what it is is when you're not a vegan, <laughs> I don't want to get all the vegan hate letters. <laughs> when you're not a vegan... And maybe it's been a long day and it's now like 1 a.m. and you're starving. Maybe you don't want vegan food. Well, you want comfort food. You want something you know. And vegan food was all we could find. So we kind of walked around and looked for something else. There was nothing else open. Everything, I mean, everything closed at 2. So they started shutting down at like 
130, 145. This is also during the revolution, by the way. So tourism had tanked. Me and Delany are just like, oh, revolution going on. That'll make a great time to go. And so we parachute into Beirut during the revolution at 1.30 in the morning. We find this vegan place and we're starving. And so we're just like, oh, let's do it. And we walk in. And I think the guy could kind of tell that we were out of our element. We were lost. We were probably dazed. And we're just like, feed us. And he was really nice. He ended up just kind of recognizing that we didn't know what we wanted. And we were kind of staring at the menu with a glazed mm -hmm. over look. And he just kind of took us under his wing, remember? And he was just kind of like, all right, you guys just want me to make you some stuff that's good and let you try it? And we're like, hell yeah, that sounds amazing. Well, not only was it vegan food, but it still was more of a Middle Eastern type food, Lebanese, something that I didn't recognize. And so he was so approachable and so friendly and just so welcoming and spoke perfect English. And so I think I was kind of like, oh, wow. I don't know. I don't know what I thought Beirut would be. But this was pretty much other than getting to our hotel. My first experience out in the Lebanese city life. I don't know. So I was like, what exactly are you doing here? Because it, it didn't just look like a normal kitchen. And he was cooking food on this thing that sort of looked like a Jamaican drum, like metal oven thing. And then he was making this sort of like flatbread wraps, kind of like, I don't know, I guess they were like the equivalent of Lebanese crepes, because there were savory ones, and there mm -hmm. were sweet ones that you could order. Yeah. And we just sort of put our faith in him and just said, you know, we don't know what you got, make us something. And it was good. He did. And those things, but the drum uh, oven thing, by the way, is called Asaj. And the bread that they make on that is also called Saj, S-A-J. And then he was just filling it with things like lebna, which is like a Lebanese cheese with yogurt. It's really, really good. And olives and beets and some other really weird combinations. And we were just kind of like, uh, God, I hope this is good because I'm about ready to eat my arm off. And he made us four of them and just kind of made a little saj buffet for us with different types mm -hmm. of ingredients. And oh my God, I was blown away. It was so Good. Like it was genuinely good. And he was so concerned about us liking it. And he kept asking us. And I was like, no, I'm not even just blowing shit up your butt. This is really fucking good. And remember, yeah. we didn't even have any money. <laughs> like we finally had to tell him, <laughs> do you take cards? And he's like, no. And we're like, uh. Because we hadn't found an ATM. Here we were trying to find something that was open. But we're like, well, we're just like, <laughs> now that we've wandered in uh, at 145, only a few minutes before he's about to close. And we're like, hi, can you still serve us? And he was so kind. We're like, so we can't pay you. <laughs> <laughs> and he was actually really good. He was like, eh, just come back tomorrow and pay me tomorrow. Luckily, we ended up digging out some U.S. dollars. And I had like seven cents in Lebanese currency for my last trip. And so we were able to pay him with a combination of U.S. dollars plus my seven cents. We didn't actually. But I was that. like, is this a thing? Is this a Beirut thing? People are super nice, welcoming. And then <laughs> you can just pay tomorrow. Wow, that's really <laughs> trusting. It was really trusting. But I think it is a Lebanese trait to be that hospitable. And, and I mean, not every restaurant's going to just let you eat a buffet and not pay. But that was our welcome to Beirut. And by the way, the name of that place, it was so good. And actually, I'm not into vegan food. I totally am now because that place was just really good. It's called M Ali, two words, E M A L I. And it's on Garage Street in the neighborhood of Jamaze. Jamaze is the artsy, trendy, hipster, kind of modern social area of Beirut. And then there's another area that's also a big social sort of nightlife area 
called Hamra. And Hamra is actually where we stayed the first night. We stayed in a place, a sort of a boutique hotel called Hamra Urban Gardens that I had stayed in on my previous trip, and I really liked it. But after that first night in Jamez, we also went out to a few other places in that area. I don't think it was that same night. I think it was it was the next night, right, where we went back Def- and we tried to go to It was definitely bars. a different night. Because when we left the Saj place, nothing was open at all. And we just went to back to the hotel and went to sleep. Well, <laughs> we went back to the hotel and at first had <laughs> tried to sleep. The hotel was rocking. I don't know if they had... I think it was a wedding or some sort of celebration or something. Or do you think it was like disco night or it was loud? I don't know. I think it was the loudest. I think it was an event they were having where they had a special DJ in there and he was, it was a little bit loud, but also I had stayed in that same place when I was there in October and it was, you know, the weather was warmer. It was more sort of the, the height of tourist season and the revolution wasn't going on and mm-hmm. you know, all these other plagues weren't going on. But that hotel is actually a huge social spot in Hamra in Beirut and people go there to go to the restaurant it turns into a nightclub in the evening they were rocking they were rocking even even during the <laughs> revolution but normally it's just a lot there, there are a lot more people there than than were there when Deli and I were there in February and the roof is normally open and they have um, a pool club up there and people are just there all day like playing in the pool they have a DJ up there they have a bar they have a restaurant on the roof they have a gym in this hotel that's kind of like not a hotel gym but an actual real outside gym that happens to be inside of the hotel and the hotel too is it's it's like a part of it is a hostel like an upscale hostel where they have multiple bunks in the same rooms and then the other part is like a boutique hotel and Deli and I stayed in the boutique hotel part we had our own room but it's a really great crowd because they have a mix of backpacker types staying in the hostel part and sort of more middle class or 30s age travelers staying in the boutique hotel part and then they have youth from the Beirut social scene coming to dine and party in the hotel and swim in the pool on the rooftop. And I just really like Hama Urban Gardens. I think it's a really great, unique hotel to stay in when you're in Beirut. It's really inexpensive because the other place we stayed, so we stayed one night there and then we moved from there to the Four Seasons. And the Four Seasons <laughs> is... A huge, we, a huge spread. Yeah, huge. You know, I'd like to, I'd like to give um, the Hummer urban gardens another go maybe in season because the restaurant was kind of sleepy the next day and the rooftop thing wasn't open obviously yeah well it was it was also winter and it was yeah the revolution was going on so, tr- yeah, so yeah. tourism i'd like to see plummeted. it in, in normal times yeah it was a lot of fun when i was there in october i really liked it and that's why i wanted us to stay I there bet. again when we went back we should definitely go back in the future and we should take other people with us because i would love yeah you're you're right i would love to go back there and stay there again the other place we stayed at the Four Seasons, I mean, that was just over the top amazing. We had this beautiful corner suite with huge sweeping views of the harbor, and it was just over the top luxurious. Unfortunately, because of the revolution going on when we were there, the occupancy had dropped to 10% overnight when that started. So we kind of had the whole Four Seasons to ourselves almost, but it was super swank and super nice. And that rooftop bar. You remember they have the pool up there on the rooftop and then they have a Mm -hmm. bar. Even in winter, they enclose it and they have this really sort of ultra modern trendy bar that serves food and and drinks and has an amazing view. And oh, I just loved that Four Seasons there in Beirut. Oh yeah, it was fantastic. And of course, Four Seasons hospitality and service. And yeah, our room was great. Oh, that view was so beautiful. Remember the breakfast we had too? They would bring out an entire buffet just for our table to start and then we could order stuff. That's right, because they usually have 
the breakfast buffet, but because the occupancy was so low, they brought us the menu and you could pick whatever you wanted off of it. And then they could bring you anything that they would normally have from the buffet. Oh my God, the last day that we were there, uh, we ate ourselves sick. Honest to Jesus, I did not eat for a good 28 hours, I think it was, afterwards. It was a full day and then some. We ate so much. I mean, it was just so delicious, so such good food, and they just keep bringing you more, and it's just amazing. Yeah. yeah, if you want to splurge when you go to Beirut, the Four Seasons property there is absolutely phenomenal. It's it's relatively new, you know, in the grand scheme of things. They have some other historic properties there, like the Phoenician is a really famous old hotel. It's historic, but the Four Seasons is new. It's modern. It's the nicest hotel in the entire country, actually. And it's a Four Seasons, so you have to splurge a little bit if you want to stay there. But I highly recommend it because it's just such a nice base, a nice retreat to come back to from mm-hmm. the rest of exploring Lebanon. And that we certainly did. So Delia and I decided that we were going to do a little road trip around Lebanon. You know, and <laughs> for those who don't know sort of geopolitically, Lebanon, part of it is still controlled by Hezbollah. So you have pockets of the country where, you know, Hezbollah is a political party also, and it's kind of a social organization and a terrorist organization. And there's just a lot of complicated stuff going on there. But, Les- uh, I, oh my God, I almost did it again. I called it Lesbola. <laughs> <laughs> The whole time he kept calling it Lesbola, the Lesbola, <laughs> which how has Will and Grace not done a skit on this or I something? Know, I don't know, but Le- Lebanon Live. and Hezbollah, I keep mixing them and saying Lesbola, but okay, Lesbola. Hezbollah does control <laughs> parts of Lebanon outside of Beirut. And so we kind of really didn't know what we were getting into. We were just like, there are some sites we want to see, some cities we want to go to that are in the the almost did it again the the hezbollah controlled part and we're just gonna get our little jacked up rental car and drive there and do a road trip and so deli and i just we rented a car from avis and we were just like okay here is baalbek on a map we really wanted to go to baalbek and we just start driving right And so Baalbek is supposed to be really cool. And um, I was kind of stoked that John was into it because I had heard about it from somebody, a friend of a friend who had been there. And they were like, you know, if you're going, see if you can get out to Baalbek. So I looked it up and I was like, oh. And so I was like, would you be interested in doing this at all? I don't know. Some people aren't into the architectural side of country or historical stuff. And he was totally down. Um, Baalbek is, I guess it was... It's Roman temple ruins. It's kind of this city that was the Greek and Romans, they called it Heliopolis back in the day. And um, it was a city and it has these really large Roman temple ruins and these huge monoliths, these big stones that are really cool. And so it's supposed to be this really cool place this old ancient city and then also driving out there it's um out in the Bekaa Valley which is kind of east of Beirut sort of middle east of the country near the Syrian border and it's just in this farming valley and so it's it's all supposed to be so phenomenally beautiful so I was so excited to see it all so here we go off on our little trek from Beirut in the rental car to go to Baalbek <laughs> with I, John, who barely has no coat. Well, you know, I was coming to the <laughs> Middle East for five weeks. And so I didn't, I mean, I packed, I, I always pack pants because I only wear pants in the Middle East. I don't wear shorts because it's a little culturally insensitive. But I didn't have a jacket. I didn't have any long sleeves. 
I barely had anything that would keep you warm. And so I wasn't expecting what we encountered on the way to Baalbek. So we start driving. We get about 30 minutes east of Beirut and then start heading northeast. And, and we were kind of going up slowly. Yeah, I wasn't really thinking elevation. we were. Right. Yeah. But all of a sudden, I'm like, Delany, is that snow? It started <laughs> fucking snowing. And we're just like, oh my God. And then it started sleeting. And then it was getting harder and harder. And then finally we get to part of the road where we there's a lot of traffic. And we're just like sitting there waiting in traffic for a while. And we inch our way up to this area where we realize they've closed off the road. And they're putting chains on people's car tires. And not letting you go forward unless you have proper equipment to drive in a fucking blizzard. And so we ended up not even being able to go to Baalbek because we got derailed from a fucking snowstorm of all things in the Middle East. Yeah, it was sticking. It definitely wasn't chain weather. Um, I know when I've gone places and I've had to put on chains, I don't know, maybe above that it was really coming down but they were putting chains on in my opinion way too early but they wouldn't even like i'm like let's just go and we can always turn around and no they weren't having any of it if you didn't have like four-wheel drive or chains they just wouldn't even let you through they were just like barricading so we couldn't go we didn't get to go to Baalbek. Yeah, we so we have to out. we have what to go on. back yeah, yeah we definitely do there's also a couple of other cities in the north that I was that I really want to see. I think you can make a nice little circular road trip from Beirut out to Baalbek and then back to the coast. And there's a couple of other places in the north of Lebanon I think would be great to see in kind of a day trip. And you can easily do it in a day trip. But we decided to turn around and just head south because there's also, you can kind of do a similar circuit south of Beirut in the south of the country. And so we decided to just go down to the city of Tyre, which is an ancient Phoenician and Roman city that has some ruins we'd heard about. There's a UNESCO site down there. And so we were like, well, if we can't go to the north, let's go to the south. So we turned around, drove back to Beirut, and then headed south along the coastal highway. And, oh, Lord, that turned into a whole nother fiasco because we didn't really see any evidence of Hezbollah in <laughs> the north, in the Becca Valley, even though it is Hezbollah territory. Well, I don't even know how far into the Becca Valley we made it. But when we... Um, well, definitely not in Beirut. Not in Beirut, I've... but so heading south from Beirut, you kind of, you know, go through these little coastal towns. The first big town you come to heading south is Sidon, and that's supposed to be historic too, but we didn't really find a lot there. I think we were just starving when we got there. Our entire We were starving our entire trip in Lebanon. Why are we so fucking hungry? But... I don't know, because like I said, we ate. Was it Sidon that we were trying to like get the SIM card or something, and that's when we saw the Popeyes? Oh, yeah, well... Yeah, we, we decided we needed a SIM card because we were going to have to navigate in Hezbollah territory in the south. And we saw that, remember, we were going around the traffic circle and there was, there was a billboard <laughs> that was almost completely torn down. And I saw one tiny little corner that looked like a Popeye's advertisement. And I was like, oh my God, a Popeye's, they have a Popeye's here. And you're like, there it is on the other side of the traffic circle. So we stopped at Popeye's and engorged on three different combo <laughs> meals before getting a SIM card, which was another adventure. Then we continued south to Tyre. Because, I mean, we didn't really find much inside, and it was just kind of like, eh. You know, no, I think we just drove city. through there. Yeah, I think there is some stuff there, but we didn't we didn't find it. Tyre was really our destination, because that's the city in the south of Lebanon that's known for its ruins, and we really wanted to get there. And we'd already wasted you know, part of the day trying to go up to Baalbek and getting turned around. So we were making a beeline to Tyre in the south. And so... 
But here's the thing. So we start, we leave Sidon. We start driving down the highway towards Tyre. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my God, Delany, 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 look, look. And she's like, what? I'm like, that's the Hezbollah flag. It's a, it's a really noticeable flag. You know, the Lebanese flag is this beautiful red and white flag with this pretty little cedar tree in the middle. It looks like a Christmas tree. And then the Hezbollah flag is this yellow flag and has an AK-47 on it. And I didn't think that the Hezbollah presence would be so in your face, but they are not even kidding about saying you are entering Hezbollah land. And the Hezbollah flag was everywhere along the roads, on the street lamps. It yeah, the really flags kind of were actually along the highway, like how a certain town might do it up with a certain time of year where they advertise something. Yeah, you definitely notice that it's a totally different flag. And it's actually an arm up holding the assault rifle. Yeah, there's no mistaking that the... it is like a military yeah, exa- flag. It's no mistaking that it's very different from the sweet little cedar tree. <laughs> and um, that it's, you know, some Islamist political party slash militant group <laughs> and in addition to the flag we started seeing pictures of uh the Leban- or the lebanese um the the, the hezbollahs i guess we ended up trying to figure out what the <laughs> adjective was it might be something else but we have decided that it's hezbollahs yeah we went through like hezbollites hezbollans Hezbollah. we, we settled yeah. on hezbollahs um, so the the hezbollahs leader is a guy called hassan nasrallah and i started seeing pictures of him and i was like oh my god Downey, Downey, that's hassan nasrallah and she's like who and i'm like the hezbollahs leader and then we started <laughs> seeing pictures of that iranian general that was killed and you're trying not to say lesbian i know i'm trying you? so hard <laughs> oh that was right after that's right see we we talked about this before on one of our failed attempts that (laughs) coronavirus has taken over so much that we've forgotten about all the other things that have happened we forgot about world war three that was going on i know that it just barely it's now the beginning of april and that 2020 has just been you know its own decade but that's right the year started out with this potential iranian conflict and um, yeah, there were pictures of that dude. Yeah, whose it, it, name it, I knew then that I don't now. Soleimani, that, um, I think. Yes, Soleimani. Yeah, because Iran is the major backer of Hezbollah, and so there's huge. They obey the Ayatollah. Yeah, there's huge sympathies with them in uh, Hezbollah's territory, and also in Bahrain. Bahrain has a majority Shiite population, which is the predominant sect in Iran. And so there's always been some tensions there between Iran trying to exert influence on the Shiite population of Bahrain and the royal family there is Sunni and Saudi Arabia tries to exert influence on you know the Sunni population and the government, and the royal family. And so there's a huge tension between Iran and the you know sort of the Saudi elements and the Western elements in the Middle East in Bahrain. And so, you know, on this trip, Right after World War III was supposed to be starting, or everybody thought it was on the verge of starting, Delhi and I parachute into Bahrain. We parachute into Lebanon, <laughs> and we're like driving down into Hezbollah territory because we want to see some tourist sites, like the la-di-da tourists we are sometimes. But it definitely, as we got further south, driving from Sidon to Tyre, it was definitely getting sketchier and sketchier, and we started seeing more... Hezbollah signage and writing in Arabic that was clearly politically oriented. And then, so we get to a suburb of Tyre and we pull over because we needed to go to the bank to get some cash out. And we get to this, we like are turning around because we see an ATM and we get to this traffic circle. And remember, we see this coffin on the beach with the Hezbollah flag 
beside it and some flag with some Arabic on it that we couldn't read. And the coffin was painted in the colors. Well, not even just the colors. The coffin was painted as an American flag. Remember that one? And it was big too, like a symbolic like statement. Like it was monument. like a coffin type monument. Yeah. And um, the Hez, Hezbollahs are responsible for some Western attacks. And I don't know, they're not exactly known to really be in love with the Americans. I don't know if it was necessarily dangerous for us per se, but that coffiny thing was weird. And we kind of tried to ask somebody what it was. Now, I, I want to be clear that we didn't feel unsafe. No, not at all. We definitely at times felt like we took a wrong turn in Albuquerque kind <laughs> of thing. But, uh, you know, I don't think it was, I mean, maybe if we had gotten out of the car and we were like, oh my God, my trip to Israel was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been a different story. We might have gotten jihadded. Exactly. Just kind of driving along. We did try and blend in a little, put like my scarf over my head to try not to look so pasty and American looking. But yeah, it wasn't like dangerous. But so we never figured out what the coffin thing was. And we did get to Tyre. And I guess the Tyre has the UNESCO site, like he was saying, they have one kind of in town and they have one out of town. The one out of town, unfortunately, when we got there and we got out of the car, the sky opened pouring rain, hail, freezing. And so we didn't stay at that site nearly as long as we could have or should have. Yeah, and we just walked around a little bit, took some pictures. I remember it was freezing, huddling under an arch. Yes, some and like my hot pink Phoenician umbrella. Arch. Yeah, and trying to <laughs> take a few pictures under the umbrella. But, oh my gosh, it um, was so cold and just wet and cold. And remember that damn car wouldn't defrost? Oh yeah, you're right. We'd have to drive along and John would have to roll down the window and wipe the outside and the inside. And I We had the we, jankiest rental car. We should have told them about the defrosting. So then we did go to the tire in town, which was its own little remnants of a Phoenician city right on the water. And that was really cool. It was closed but in the middle of apartment buildings and stuff. But we hit it at a really good time of day, really good lighting because of the rain. And I think my pictures were really good. But that looked super cool. And yeah, I like that area a lot. I wish we could have gone in there and walked around because it had more columns still standing and kind of like a colonnade leading to the beach. And it was huge. I mean, it spanned several blocks. But I mean, I need to go back and spend some more time there because if I could get into that site that we looked at from the outside, I think that would right. be cool to walk around. Nevertheless, I think, you know, Lebanon does have some really amazing sites. I think Baalbek is probably one of the top sites. The, the Roman ruins in the north are really well preserved, and I really wanted to go see those. And right, I think you did too. too. We were a little bit bummed we couldn't make it. So we definitely have to go back, and we definitely have to go make it some of Lebanon's other sites. But, you know, we made the best of what we could. I mean, we had you know, a blizzard. And the weather was so different. It was so, bizarre. So, so yeah. different. I mean, yeah, Lebanon's I really... a very diverse country. Well, first of all, ethnically and culturally, they have Christians, they have Sunni Muslims, they have Shia Muslims. It's, it's an extremely, uh, it's a European influenced country because it's right there on the Mediterranean. It's been sort of the crossroads for the Ottomans, the Romans, the Greeks, the Arabs, almost every civilization. And it's really diverse geographically too, because you have the beach and it's really warm in some parts like Beirut's down on the beach. And then you have mountains with literally a ski resort an hour east of that. And then you go south and it's really rainy. It's just a really diverse country. 
I was reading the guidebook that I had that I took to Lebanon that I barely cracked open. One thing that I did remember was that, um, fun fact, that Tyre is apparently the place where the purple dye was invented by the Phoenicians. Oh, really? Tyre was also the birthplace of a lot of philosophers and mathematicians and things like that that we associate with ancient Greece. Because remember, Lebanon and the Levant, that whole region fell under Greek influence when Alexander the Great conquered it. And then the Romans took over later, and it was part of the Roman Empire for a long time. So Tyre is actually historically and um, culturally, Tyre is a really important historic point. I mean, it was the center of the Phoenician civilization, and the Phoenicians, you know, colonized everywhere from the Levant, where Lebanon is, all the way over to Cadiz in Spain and Carthage in modern-day Tunisia. The Phoenicians were kind of the shit back then, but their, their civilization kind of got wiped out of the records a lot because the Greeks and Romans came in later and just kind of put their foot down. Well, if you do recall, on our drive down, we did pass Phoenician University, which, of course, I wanted to stop so that we could get a pu shirt (laughs) (laughs) i forgot about that yeah i go to pu pu exactly and it's just it's got that seal on it with a big pu on it like any other school yeah i don't Uh, think people will get that unless english is their native language why pu is funny to us (laughs) exactly that's so lost in translation i think it'd be a great thing to have here someday i'm gonna i'm gonna track down a pu sweatshirt for you it's gonna be your christmas (laughs) i'll wear it proudly but after we did tire we did end up going back to beirut and each night we were in beirut we tried to go out and see some different areas and hit more restaurants hit more bars and it was over the weekend when we were there the first night there was saturday then we went out sunday then we had monday so deli and i were trying to hit up new restaurants and bars every time and i had a friend that was actually living in beirut that's from lebanon and was back there for a couple of years living in beirut and so one night we met up with him and he took us out in an area called hamra the area that the hotel we were talking about earlier is in that's sort of an older it's still trendy it's still very social and lively but it's kind of an older part of beirut whereas jamais the other area we were talking about that we went to the first couple nights is sort of the trendier newer modern area but my friend that was living there took us out in hamra one night and so we ended up going to a couple of bars there do you remember the names of of the bars you went to there delany Yeah, so the first one that we went to, and I enjoyed them both, but first one we went to is really well known in Beirut, if you wanted to look up trendy bars, is this place called Ferdinand, and super cute on the inside, kind of like a gastropub, and it has uh, mixologists, not bartenders, kind of hipster, but like all walks of life in there and very open-minded, but they had really delicious food and then yummy cocktails the cocktail i had had peppercorns in it and was kind of spicy it was a super cute place i enjoyed it yeah i like that it was really centrally located too and it was packed i mean obviously it was packed with a lot of locals too and and really busy it was a good mix of people right there in hamra and then my friend after that he had to go but he took us to another bar We, we asked him for kind of like uh typical or a popular local bar and we walked down the street for a little while it was still in Hamra but he ended up taking us to this this office building 
and he was just kind definitely of like, not what you would expect. No, not like at all. Like when he was turning in there, I thought maybe he was going to like an ATM or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't was, know what he was doing. It was just like this office building, and we walk in, and it's dark, and he just kind of points down this hallway. And he's like, there it is. And, you know, he kind of says goodbye to us because he has to go. And we're kind of like, uh, okay, let's go in down this dark hallway in this abandoned looking office building and see what we can find. And we walk down to the end of it and open this door. And it was this bustling, packed restaurant bar entertainment venue. I never would have expected that in that location. Super I did cute. not see that coming, but... So yeah, so that one was called Mezian. It was in a building called the Rasamni building, but the the place was called Mezian and it was a really local place. Like, I don't think, I mean, did you see any other foreigners in there? I think we were the only foreigners. It just looked like a fun place, Saturday night out type of thing, although it wasn't Saturday, but um, it was pretty busy. I want to say it was a a Sunday or Monday and it still was really packed and really like open and airy for where it was. And I think we ate there as well and had yeah, some we cocktails. Were, we were oh, starving. Hey. I ordered pub food. Remember I ordered like these cheese stick looking taquito things and chicken. Yeah. Tenders. Yeah. Those were really funky, but that was where I was able to try one of the local beers and it was delicious. And it was the beer that is named after the country code of Lebanon, which is... That's 961. Because I follow a blog, too, now called the 961. So this really good local beer was just named after the country code, which was Yeah, I really liked it. And I think I tried a couple different kinds. And um, yeah, pleasantly surprised, just like everything else in Lebanon. But decent beer. Who knew? Yeah, that place was good. Mezion. I never, never would have found that place in a million years. No way. Yeah. Back down a hallway. And also even when you enter just this kind of normal looking door ish, you don't really think you're going into a restaurant. Yeah, it'd be hard to describe to somebody else. But I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, he did not let us down with the couple places he took us to. And Dylan and I walked around a little bit too in Hamra going to a couple of other places. So we wanted to go, I wanted to take her to this bar that I had been to the last time I was there. And it's kind of, I mean, to kind of give you an idea of how diverse Lebanon is. I mean, it's known as kind of a gay bar, but it's mixed, you know, because it is Lebanon. So, but it's kind of a, uh, I guess you could say a progressive bar. Maybe that would be the better way to put it. But trendier people and alternative people and it, I went to it the previous time I was there and it was it had just a really good vibe and so I wanted to go there again with Delany and show her and so we end up walking from the hidden bar in the office building lobby kind of across Hamra and also like we've mentioned a couple of times the freaking revolution was going on at this time and there were protests so there's like military presence yeah very uh around yeah very sort of authoritarian and it was probably like midnight at this point and Deli and I were just walking down this street and all of a sudden you know like when I'm traveling I'm kind of absent-minded sometimes and like nothing phases me I mean you know Hezbollah could be like kidnapping me one day and then we could be going to a gay bar in Beirut the next day and then we could be (laughs) skiing in the mountains the next day and I'm just like ah, whatever so these things don't really phase me but I think and I'd been there before in October so I think we were walking through this neighborhood and Delany was kind of 
recognizing, ah, this is looking a little sketchy, and now it's looking a little militaristic, and is this really safe? And, you know, we come across this government building that's just barricaded the fuck up with huge concertina wire, like huge six-foot spools of razor wire. And Delany's kind of looking at it like, uh... And you remember the only (laughs) thing I could think of was I just kind of turned to you and go, this razor wire is really shiny. Like, that's the first thing that popped in my mind. Not, oh my God, we're in the middle of a revolution, walking through a sketchy neighborhood in Beirut. Hezbollah's probably tracking us down because we've been calling them Lesbola all day. And I'm just like, the razor wire is really shiny. Do you notice that? And it was shiny. It looked brand spanking new. Like somebody had just gone to Razor Wire RS and bought these big <laughs> bales over and they put probably them on the street. Did. And sharp. Almost like where you see in a movie or a cartoon or something where the light is glinting off the, the spiny, sharp pines, whatever they are, where you just know you wouldn't want to go up against them. But yeah, it was super shiny. And we had a laugh about that. <laughs> That stuck, That's, and we just decided to. Uh, it was very typical of our our repartee back and forth when we we're traveling together, and so we thought it would be a great name for the podcast. And so here exactly. we are. So, oh, you remember the other thing that was? I guess we didn't get to uh, even talking about the progressive bar we went to because we got stuck talking about the shiny razor wire we came across on the way. But do you remember we were going there, and we were kind of trying to hide that we were going to this specific bar. And I was kind of telling people, oh, yeah, we're going to. I think we ended up taking an Uber in the end. Oh, our Uber, right. Yeah, I was telling people. I I looked up a restaurant nearby, and of course it was closed because it was like midnight. But I told the Uber that's where we're going. And he kind of caught on, and he's like, are you going somewhere near there? Because that place is not open. And I was just kind of like. And you're like, "Uh, I don't know. We're meeting our friends. Yeah, we're meeting our friends on the corner. This is just a nearest place. And he he was kind of quizzing us. He's like, well, where are you going with your friends? Maybe I could just drop you off there. And I'm like, we're going to a bar around here. I'm just, I'm not really sure what it's called. We're just meeting them like we'll be fine and he was like oh no you must mean bardo and we're like uh no and he's like oh if you're going to a bar around here that's the only one yeah that's the biggest one around here it's really popular yeah that must be it and then we have to go through this security checkpoint at one point because we went through someone's neighborhood and a then diplomatic a diplomatic neighborhood neighborhood. or something yeah and the security guy which is like a soldier is saying like where are you going and the the bar the the bartender the uber driver was like oh they're going to bardo and i'm just like oh my god he's getting ready to shoot us and sure enough he was like oh yeah bardo right through here just let us right through so it's really weird lebanon really is this country of contrast where you have really conservative elements of society but really progressive elements of society you've got really unique historic cultural mix you've got geographic diversity you've got traditional places you've got ultra modern places you've got bombed out buildings you've got glass and steel sky skyscrapers next to them you've got older quaint charming hotels and inns and then you've got beautiful glass modern four seasons all in like the same area in central downtown beirut i fucking love lebanon and i'll go back there again with anybody who wants to go and meet me us there. too i found it to be really safe despite the <laughs> has lesbola presence i mean it's just like any place else that you travel where you just want to travel smart and you know not be a jackass but i found it to be safe the times that i was out by myself and without john i felt totally safe people were just so 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 friendly and welcoming and helpful and the food was just mm. lebanese food was great yeah, do not we... be dieting when you go to beirut 
No, definitely not. And don't be wary of vegan food, strange vegan food. <laughs> yeah, I definitely learned a lesson in opening up my own whatever, my own self to, uh, to new experiences there. But you know what's funny is that shit keeps happening to me. I mean, I feel like I've been to a gazillion countries. I've been to some crazy places dozens of times. And, you know, people like you and me, it's hard to find a place that wows us. It's hard to find Mm -hmm. a place that blows us away. And Beirut definitely did that. And I keep finding more and more things there and more and more experiences that I'm like, oh, my God, like, I feel like I'm 22 again, you know, traveling and seeing a lot of the world for the first time. And it's hard to do that when you've traveled a lot. And I know a lot of podcast listeners are really well traveled, but Beirut really is a place that you can have that experience again. Even if you've been to 60 something countries like Delany has, or you've been to places like Egypt and Bahrain and bumfuckistan a million times, Beirut is a place that will still really open your eyes and break a lot of misconceptions about travel in the Middle East. And it's just fucking fun. Let's go back. Definitely. For a country that's the size of Connecticut, we still have to see so much of it. Yeah, there's a lot um, to do there. Now, granted, February was a good time to go because there weren't a lot of people and it was off season. But um, it did snow, which of all things to keep us from going anywhere in the country, that's not the thing that I thought would stop us. Yeah, I mean, I thought Hezbollah would stop us quicker than snow in in Lebanon. For real, or some sort of checkpoint. There are a lot of checkpoints all over, but even still, going through the checkpoint, they just wave you through. I don't know what... We did kind of try and figure out, like, how do they know? You know, I guess we don't look like terrorists, so they just... I guess terrorists have a look. (laughs) Shifty, dodgy look. We did not have it in our Nissan Sentra with poor defrost. (laughs) So... (laughs) They probably couldn't see us through the window. (laughs) Exactly. They just couldn't tell. We could have been shifty and dodgy, but uh, yeah. (laughs) Now, uh, Lebanon did not disappoint. It was a lovely surprise, and um, I would recommend anybody do a tiny bit of research as well as keeping your mind open and don't go by what people might have you know told you about it and yeah just go have a good time just go explore meet people get lost get kidnapped whatever you got to do you're gonna have a good time Mm -hmm. i promise so all right with that let's let's wrap it up we've had quite a first episode talking about lebanon definitely not your typical tourist destination that you would expect to talk about on a podcast show, especially on the first episode. But hey, we want to talk about the edgy places, the out of the way places, the places that you would not expect to be fun, but are a ton of fun. All right. Well, with that, we will leave it for another episode to talk about some more crazy adventures, more crazy places. And Delany, I hope to see you again before too long, too. We got to meet up and do another trip together as soon as this coronavirus shit lets up and we get over that. Oh, for real. My gosh, I'll be on a plane so fast. I thought Hezbollah was going to take me down and it's going to be fucking coronavirus. I hope not. I hope not. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully we can travel sometime in the next couple months. Well, until we can get back on planes, we'll keep coming back on and making more episodes and talking about it and hopefully keeping people entertained and just sharing our crazy stories of travel to all these places. Not only places we've been, but places we're going to certainly go back. So if anybody wants to join us, we will happily get on a plane and meet you in places like Lebanon and some of the other places we're going to talk about in the next couple episodes. So survive COVID-19 and we'll see you on the other side of this ship. Stay safe. Bye.